The Film Crickets are intended for mature audiences. Any guests on The Film Crickets do not necessarily share the same opinions as The Film Crickets. Crickets with Jay Fortier, Chris Martineau, and Melanie Howerton. On this week's episode, the Crickets are joined by Francis Maxwell, a filmmaker and contributor for the Midas Touch Network. Jay, Chris, Melanie, and Francis review the 1992 American legal drama film, A Few Good Men. What do you want to discuss now? My favorite color? Does it stand the test of time? Let's find out your film crickets are on now. All right. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Film Crickets. My name is Jay Fortier. I'm along with my good friend, Chris Martineau. Hello. Hey. And along with my good friend and co-host, Melanie Howerton. Hey, how you doing? All right. And uh, once again, this is the Film Crickets, where we talk about movies from 1980 to 1999. And we do have some exceptions. We will go into the 70s, a little bit into the 2000s, but mostly 80 to 99. But we are honored today, and we are welcoming Francis Maxwell. He is a contributor to the Midas Touch Network, and also uh, he's a filmmaker. So we're excited to have him. Welcome, man. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for coming. Yeah. This is so, cool. so we're. Uh, I'm placing uh, Francis from your your access uh, your accent. You're from Tennessee, Mississippi, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Alabama. Born in Texas, yeah. Okay, so good. Lost good. my twang a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Francis, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're from? Uh, how are you a filmmaker? What are you involved in? Give, give us some. Give us the skinny on Francis Maxwell. All right. The the bottled down version is. Uh, I, I'm from Scotland originally, and. Um, born and raised in Glasgow, which is, as we like to know, is the, the heart of Scotland. Everyone says it's Edinburgh. We like to pretend that they don't say that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely the prettier city, but we are the people in, in Glasgow. We have the, the heart of, the, of, of our country. But uh, I moved to America in 2010, and I've kind of jumped between Los Angeles and New York um, to, to finally land in New York City, because I feel like it's got a little bit more... Um, of the type of people, let's say, uh, that I align with. There's a lot of Scottish, Irish, Australian. Uh, mm-hmm. Here, a lot of Irish bars where I can watch my football. So yep. happy to be here. I, as far as my career, I kind of wore many a hats. I used to be a professional soccer player back in the day before I moved to um, America. And then I, I went to college and picked up journalism. Uh, that led me into kind of the political realm, which is, as you know, is a rabbit hole of itself. Mm-hmm. So I went, I went down that for many years and started to find that the stories that I would talk about, I was always a little limited just based on video content or, or written pieces. And then thought to myself, well, how else can I talk about these things in a way that is not as limited? And that led me into film. So that was more of a recent transition. That's only been the last couple of years, but um, always been a film buff and to see it from that side while shooting my own film last year and, and going on to produce um, a couple of documentaries. It's, it's only made me fall in love with it even more. Um, Excellent. So yeah, that's kind of the skinny so far still being written. We'll see where I end up, but yeah, it's been great to, 
live on this side of the world so far. So in one way or another, storytelling absolutely um, is your deal. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yep. Whenever I talk to anybody about journalism and, and film, my theory of of why I enjoy it is it's the same thing. You're trying to find the truth in a story, mm-hmm. and you're trying to tell it. So sometimes it's in different mediums. Super. All right. So so um, again, I was we were talking a little bit before uh, off mic. Uh, before we got set up, a couple of technical issues. Um, but uh, so we usually at this point, we kind of go around the horn and we talk about our history uh, with the movie. So you selected uh, A Few Good Men. Rob Reiner's a good a few good men. Um, at this point, we because we're looking at movies from the past, uh, we kind of see what your history is with the movie. Like, when was the first time you saw it? Do you watch it a lot? Do you watch it once a year? Like, does it have a soft spot for you? So basically, what your relationship is with the movie until maybe your recent rewatch. So uh, I'm going to go around the horn here. I'm going to start with Jason. Uh, Jay Fortier, what, what is your, what's your history with A Few Good Men? Um, I saw it years ago, um, whenever it came out, like on video, though. It was like, you know, I rented it, I guess. And... Um, I've seen it a few times here and there throughout the years. It wasn't like a steady watch where I constantly watched it, but um, mm-hmm. I've always loved it a lot um, from whenever I saw it. So, like every time mm-hmm. I saw it, I enjoyed it thoroughly, and this time included. So, cool. So no diminishing returns. You just kind of liked it from go, and then just kind of, but not like a. You weren't ranting and raving about a few good men as the years have gone by. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's yeah. I wasn't going like you know like ballistic, but in in the sense yeah. of every time I I watched it, I enjoyed it much. But it's just like I'm not quoting it all the time. And, sure, you know, but yeah, <laughs> probably it's one of those. Uh, uh, let me go around before I give a take on that. Melanie, what's your relationship with with a few good men? I don't remember if I ever saw it in the, the movie or not. <laughs> I don't. I can't yeah. remember if I ever saw it in the movies or not. But um. I've just always been aware of it, and I've I've watched it whenever it's come on TV. Um, mm-hmm. I can't believe I don't own it on DVD because it, it is kind of a classic. Um, yep. And uh, you know, always liked it. I mean, this, the cast in here is incredible. No, no doubt. I mean, it's it's it is kind of nutty. Um, so you don't own it, Jay. You don't own it. No. Okay. Uh, okay. So our guest, our esteemed guest, Francis Maxwell. Francis, what's your what's your deal with this movie? What's your history with this movie? As I said, kind of off camera before we came on, I I was actually first introduced to the play. So I didn't see it uh, when it came out. My dad used to have the VHS tape and I was a little too young because it was 15 back in the UK was the rating and I used to wait to try to watch it and then I forgot all about it. And then when I came to the US, I kind of got into reading plays and I just pulled this out because it was on my shelf. But that is uh, one of the copies of it. Yeah, so the play fascinated me, the dialogue, Aaron Sorkin's dialogue just sings mm-hmm. um, and then when I watched the film it was actually in the yeah, late 2000s I think I first watched it and was kind of going through a, a phase of watching all I would say glory era Tom Cruise films uh, from okay. Jerry Maguire to, to A Few Good Men and Rain Man and I just I fell in love with it and I, I would say that I watch it at least once a year okay. um, and if it comes on if I'm skipping through live TV I'll definitely land on it um, yeah, I, cool. I, I think it's one of my top five favorites. I would say films wow. of all time. Yeah, excellent. All right, so wait a minute. Let me. I want to clear something up. Did you see the play? You saw the play? No, I read it. Oh, you read yeah, the play? Okay, I've just never, making sure. I never saw it performed. Um, I okay. would love to, um, hmm. but I was actually just through reading plays, and uh, I think I, I think I read the play when I first. Um, kind of heard of Aaron Sorkin's work, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think I had saw the movie first, and I just kind of 
heard about his dialogue and I wanted to read it before I actually saw it on screen in a weird twist yeah. of that. And, and then when I read it, the play is very different, by the way, too. Don't want to okay. talk too much about the play, but it is different um, in terms of a lot of thematic choices and the way that they present specifically Colonel Jessup, as I'm sure we'll get to, is very different in the play. And they made better choices, in my opinion, in the film. Sure. Okay. Um, Just curious about that, because it is so... I'm wondering what it looks like, but now you're telling me it's a little different. Obviously, this is very dialogue-driven, but the fact that all the nuances of the movie come through the dialogue and and the acting, of course, but there's no... doesn't depend on where it is. I mean, we see a lot of shots of DC, but it doesn't matter where it is, but certainly you're kind of enraptured by the dialogue, and the dialogue going from regular regular speak to super legal speak mm-hmm. but it's never a level of legal speak that we can't understand what they're talking yeah. about it's just that really intriguing legal speak so all right enough of that so look my my situation with this i'm sure i saw this in the theater came out in I think 92 um I, i'm almost guaranteeing i saw it i had i went through a jack nicholson phase um probably just because of batman was yeah. not long after that. And this, all, all, by the way, Jessup is kind of just a rehash of Batman or Joker. <laughs> yeah. Am I wrong it's a good here? Point. That's a good He's point. really a shade off of the Joker, except yeah. with, you know, never rub out another man's rhubarb. But he still has really fun, like really catchy things to say. And he's a um, huge Pat, ego. Huge ego. Giant ego. Yeah, sure. Untouchable. I'm smarter than everybody in the room yeah. kind of situation, right? Um, so I never owned, uh, no, I never owned it. I did see it on in the movies i'm sure i rented it once and then have not seen it since 2023 because i felt it, i saw it it was really good um it's not like super entertaining um i used to watch jfk a lot i don't know why yeah i think i just like the conspiracy side of it and then you realize wait conspiracy conspiracy theorists are nuts um and so so this is kind of jfk but a little more legit right a little more more legal stuff so all right well let's let's get into the movie now we've gone our thorough history um let's go through the uh the imdb breakdown so i'm going to go to imdb we're going to say what uh see how imdb can kind of uh, break down this movie in one sentence so here we go uh a few good men came out in 1992 Running to, rated R, running time two hours and eighteen minutes. Just if you look at the poster on this, Tom Cruise is top billing over Jack Nicholson. It was also on the credits at the end, the end credits. Yep, yeah. crazy. Wow. Uh, anyway, so uh, here it is: military lawyer Lieutenant Daniel Caffey defends Marines accused of murder. They contend they were acting under orders. Directed by Rob Reiner. Written by Aaron Sorkin. Starring Tom Cruise. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Pollock, oh my God, JT Walsh, uh, James Marshall, uh, Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest is in this. J.A. Preston, Matt Craven, Noah Wiley, a young baby-faced Noah Wiley, Cuba Gooding Jr. Everybody's in this movie. Uh, it is a murderer's row of people that have yet to be and people that are. Um, so obviously we're dealing with some royalty in this film. So, uh, so let's get at it. So everybody, let's start with... An opening question. Do you want Colonel Jessup in charge of your safety? Depends on if I'm a military person or if I'm a civilian. If I'm a civilian, yes. If I'm a military person, no. Wow. And what do you guys think? I don't know. How do you feel about him being... Forget about Gitmo. What if he were in charge of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Or uh, uh, higher up in the Pentagon. How do he's we probably, feel about that? He's probably good 
at the military aspect like meaning mm-hmm. so somebody like that like has like the right brain for those specifics mm-hmm. where where he comes up short is humans like that are <laughs> like you know in person like in and close to you yeah so so like yeah. it's like regular people or like people that that aren't within that thing so but here's the thing though i think you could also probably find somebody that has that type of brain but can actually also be a human <laughs> you know, like, yeah you know what i mean like you can, i'm sure somebody has the smarts mm-hmm. to do the military aspect mm-hmm. without being a complete monster okay right. francis francis I, I think that i think that that's exactly what in Sorkin's writing, he wants to ask that question, right? Yep. He, he's posed this, 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 basically an allegory, in my opinion, an allegory for people in positions of power. It's a tale as old as time, right? It's like if they are, are believing so much so in in their stance, and in this example, it's he's overseeing the safety of the country. Mm-hmm. I think that why I love it so much is as I talk as I talk about politics quite a lot is overreach. And when mm-hmm. you have somebody who believes so much so that they're doing the right thing for the protection of others, it actually leads them down a very dark path. Um, mm-hmm. If there's kind of an unchecked uh, sort of form of balance right there. And he's, he speaks about it in a very powerful speech in the film where he's basically insulting Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about how uh, she, she outranks Kathy. And he, if unless there's a gal elect, elected president, he says, he basically says he can do what he wants. You know, like mm-hmm. he's talking in that example, very uh, grotesque means about who can give him a, in his words, a blowjob or not. And I think, sorry, if we can speak, say words like Go that. Go for it. On this. I just, in the movie. That's, that's what good. he's talking about in that example. And he, I think to me, mm-hmm. he's, he, he wants to give up this idea that you need him. And mm-hmm. without him, everything's in jeopardy. But that's where people like that in, in all walks of life can really walk that, that fine line before they start to do things that are just, as, as Jay said, inhumane in order mm-hmm. to preserve their idea of what we need uh, as people. you know. And I think that uh, the, the character of Jessup, you can put that same guy in a police role. You can put that same guy in politics. You can put mm-hmm. that same guy in a CEO position mm-hmm. and they can – assume that what they're doing is the, is for the protection of everyone mm-hmm. but as i said it can it, it can flip both ways and that's why i think he's such an intriguing villain because he's so convincing in mm-hmm. what in in what he says you know he's in the, those famous speeches you kind of believe him you're like oh well maybe i do need you you know mm-hmm. yep see he uh, i agree it's he has complex. He, oh 100% yeah. 100% cuz he know well he is in charge of the lives of all of the people on that base. People, like you said, 4,000 people across the fence want me dead at any moment. And it's, I'm putting myself in danger because of you all. And then the question becomes for people, you know, the mil, and again, I'm not military, so I hope I don't offend anybody. I have nothing but respect for the military. Don't get me wrong. I'm just going to say in terms of the movie and the character, we don't want Marines that will think for themselves. We need Marines that are going to do exactly what we tell them to do when we tell them to do it. And that's the seed of his God complex, right? I have been put in this position because I get people to do what I tell them to do because that's their job. We're all just in here 
doing our job. And at the end of the day, how do you fault somebody, particularly the two, the private and what's the rank of the other one? Oh, Lance Corporal. Lance Corporal, right? So, yeah. so they were just doing their job um, like they have always been told to do. But the question then becomes, and I think uh, Kathy brings it up, is like, well, we're not talking about we're not talking about refusing to storm the hill. We're not talking about refusing to pull the trigger. We're talking about refusing to abuse somebody because they're not in line. Mm-hmm. I right. just asked, so so I can see where that's coming from. Well, that's a great area because you do need soldiers who don't question. That's the point. <laughs> like, they're not supposed to question. They're just supposed to do. But then when you have a maniac in charge, how does it go south from there? Which is really kind of interesting. All right, so... Francis, tell me just can you encapsulate why because you've seen it probably more than we have. Can you give me a like a two sentence rundown just for the people that maybe haven't seen the movie? Um, what is the problem at Guantanamo Bay and why do we bring in Tom Cruise, uh, Lieutenant Caffey? Well, essentially, there's a, a weakling Marine, a Marine that's mm-hmm. not up, that's subpar, as Jessup yep. said, and um, he is trying to get transferred off the base. And he's yep. calling to attention the treatment of him on the base. Um, and two Marines are advised by, without the spoilers here, by higher powers to mm-hmm. give him a code red, which is a term for train him uh, rather um, harshly. Uh, mm-hmm. And it goes south, and he ends up dead uh, at the hands of these two Marines. So in the walks the young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed uh, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Caffey to take on the case to try the uh, to defend these two Marines, only Daniel Caffey's never seen the inside of a courtroom. So the assumption is that it's going to be plead, he's going to win his steak knives, as he talks about, and it's going to mm-hmm. be passed on. But yep. he, he it's somewhere deep in that psyche of Daniel Caffey is a man who wants to, wants to be a good lawyer, and that's... Mm-hmm. What we follow is him taking on the case and taking it serious. Okay, so so just so we know, because I don't, we we kind of jumped into because it's such an interesting thing about about this guy Kathy, but we need a little bit of context, and sometimes we skip over that. So as you yeah. saw more than us, you can probably encapsulate that a little bit better. So I guess what we ought to get at here is um, let let's talk about Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we? How do we feel about Tom Cruise in this movie? Now, I have vowed to Jason that I will not rent any more Tom Cruise movies so that he doesn't get any more of my money. Luckily, this was on freebie or Tubi or whatever, so I just had to pay the advertisers. Um, but so so where do we stand on young, overconfident Tom Cruise compared to kind of loose cannon weirdo Scientology Tom Cruise like how do you feel about him now compared to how you felt about him when you first saw the movie like um, I'll tell you what he rubbed me the wrong way um, he really his whole smarmy thing I've been over for a while it was cute back in the day and I don't think it's cute anymore it's actually kind of I liked him in, in Minority Report um, I didn't mind him so much because he wasn't doing that anymore he actually let himself be vulnerable I think you, the, I think Tom Cruise is best when he allows himself to look stupid. He's great in Jerry Maguire because he allows himself to be beaten. And he's not good in movies where he comes across as the best. I'm sorry. I, that's my take. Anybody, how, how do we feel about Tom Cruise in this movie? Uh, Melanie has raised her hand. Go. Okay, so I think there's a time and place where everybody needs to realize 
the difference between an actor that's there to entertain you and an actor's personal life because sure i mean like even like when we were talking about um we were watching the green mile we were talking about the green mile and this lady saw the bad guy you know that used to rape what's his face in the in the movie in an elevator holding his baby and she freaked out uh, that actor and she freaked out while he was in the elevator and almost woke up his baby and he had to try to calm her down so he mm-hmm. could so they could realize that like you know I'm not this this person this is I'm an actor you know like it's just it's just this guy is there to entertain you you have to appreciate okay. how much of a good actor he is he's an sure. amazing actor so whatever mm-hmm. the hell he decides to do in his own personal life I could care less I just sure. care about how good the movie is. If I want to go see okay. a movie, I want the movie to be good. I want him to be good in it. I don't care what he does in his own life. It's not going to make me think any different of him, really, because I just don't. I just don't really care about that. It doesn't it doesn't involve me in any way what his personal religious beliefs are and what the hell he does with his life. I just yeah, pseudo cultish. You know what I mean? Pseudo cultish like, religious beliefs. <laughs> yeah, um, I know that. I know, but it's just like I don't care because it's. I that's don't, cool. I don't. It doesn't. I'm nowhere near it. It doesn't involve me in any way. Let him have his own weird thing. <laughs> As long as I he guess acts my, good in a movie that I'm paying to go see, that's all I care about. All right, let, let me flip it a tad then. Yeah. Let's let's do it this way. Young Tom Cruise was kind of always Tom Cruise. It's the same reason. And I love Ryan Reynolds. I'm a yeah. little sick of Ryan Reynolds because he's Why? always Ryan Reynolds. Okay. He's always Ryan Reynolds. He can't do anything. Like the same but. Type now, of is it it? Is, yeah, is it entertaining? A hundred percent. Can I do it? Fuck no, I can't do that. Otherwise, I'd be a millionaire like Ryan Reynolds. However, nor am I as handsome or chiseled or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, like, I get a little sick of it. And um, I just want him to do something different. Like, I want to see him in Amityville. I want to see him do that Amityville thing, to see him do you something. you got to watch it. we got to do that. because I'm, I'm going to. I'm so going to watch good. it. But He's so good it. in it. I'm sure he is. The movie, I'm sure, stinks. But anyhow. He's amazing. Uh, but, that's where I am with Tom. I'm just, I was kind of, I was kind of getting sick of him being that Tom. Like I hate him into, I hate Top Gun. So it, just to see more Top Gun, I don't want to see that. Right. I, I just, right. I'm done. So I guess it reminded me too much of Top Gun. Like, I don't care that you don't take this seriously. You probably should. However, the character arc in this movie is he eventually does take it, take his job seriously without having to lose his quote wingman. <laughs> Um, to whatever, like you did in Top Gun. So I don't know. Anybody else take on Tom Cruise, Francis J? Um, I, I think that what you're saying, I, I, what you're saying, I can understand. I think that the way that me and my friend talk about this quite a lot. That's why the film is we're obsessed with it. Me and my Aussie okay. mate, we talk about that period of time for Tom Cruise. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I actually disagree. Where I don't think that he's Tom Cruise in this film. Not okay. that I think he's Tom Cruise in. Um, Jerry Maguire or Tom Cruise mm-hmm. in that period of time in Rain Man. I think when Tom Cruise became the action star, that's yep. where you're starting to see Fair what, I, what you talk about in, in terms okay. of the Mission Impossible. And the first sure. Mission Impossible was actually a fantastic film. It wasn't an action film. It was mm-hmm. a very intriguing kind of thriller with a lot of well-thought-out um, yes. plot points in it, and it started to become the franchise. So when Tom Cruise shifted, and there's theories out there where they talk about where he got snubbed for Academy Awards and all these things, and he just thought, I'm going to accept the big bucks. I'm going to go the Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bruce Willis route, because he's a, in, he oh, essentially yeah. becomes that same figure of the Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, kind of Sylvester Stallone, where you're just playing your action man role, and that's not a problem, right? They, those films mm-hmm. are they have an audience, but where I yep. really enjoyed Tom Cruise was those early films of Jeremy Maguire, Rain Man, and and especially oh, A Few Good Men. If you look at if you look at his appearance in A Few Good Men, teeth jaggedy. Uh, uh, eyebrows not plucked. He's got his act like he looks like a child, 
And yeah. I think you have to have that character to go up against Colonel Jessup because Jack Nicholson's character in it is so overpowering, so assured of himself mm-hmm. that if you don't have that smarmy, overconfident, um, Demi Moore has a perfect line in it. I think she calls him Persian Bazaar, like it's kind of silver spoon type of character that's that's just coasting on his dad's uh, reputation. Mm-hmm. It's essential for the movie that he is that person, and I don't think he plays Tom Cruise in it. I think he plays a Harvard grad who you want to punch in the face most of the time, mm-hmm. but he's going to convince you mm-hmm. that he's worth taking serious outside of all that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that at some point in his career as an actor, he chose to start doing films that weren't essentially um, going to serve his his sometimes his performances. I do think there are still exceptions in there. Magnolia, I really enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. I actually think in the latest Top Gun, I thought he did do some some good acting. Um, and I think Top Gun is still another one. The first film was in there. Maybe that was the start of that arc mm-hmm. um, in terms of the action films. But I think that you look at somebody like Tom Cruise in that era and you look at like a Timothy Chalamet of modern day era. Sure. And I think that Chalamet's been advised, I've heard stories being advised by DiCaprio of being like, be selective in your films, you know, like don't, because like, if you start to become that version, then it's just going to be your Chalamet in all these films. You're not <laughs> the characters who you are, you know, you're yeah. not the, the person that people come to see you. And I look at right. Tom Cruise, I'm like, that's Daniel Caffey. It's not Tom Cruise. Where if yeah, I'm yeah. watching Mission Impossible 12, uh-huh. I'm like, that's Tom Cruise. You know, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm 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 glad I brought it up because kind of sussed out some of the some of the detail work um, that he does in the movie. Because so again, a lot of things that I say, I just throw it against the wall, see how people are going to react, right? So so while I don't like Tom Cruise that much, right. uh, I'm not. I will definitely say he's a good actor. However, going to Francis's point, I would like to say that yes, you need to have. Tom Cruise act the way that he does. Mm-hmm. It's it's legit. It's more real, not realistic, but it's it drives the story more because we need to have Jessup look at this kid as a snot nosed pissant, like who does not respect me, and I am Colonel Jessup, yeah. and he has Tom Cruise. Uh, Caffey has the stones, or at least the I don't care who you are. Um, I don't even I, you're just a person to me because I don't even take the military that seriously, which is going to go up um, Nicholson's ass even further because he doesn't care that he's military. So and you're right. It is somebody that you want to punch in the face. And if they did, got somebody that they didn't want to punch in the face because of the arrogance, but also tooled with that, that overconfidence. And again, that's an overcompensating confidence because he's not a confident person. Mm-hmm. That's how you no. get Jessup to say what he does at the end. Otherwise, you you don't get him to say that because he's so un- right. he's so unlikable to somebody like Jessup. He's likable right. to the, his oh, what's his name is uh, I can't remember. Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Uh, I was gonna say they laid the groundwork uh, in Cuba okay. when um, mm-hmm. uh, like Nicholson yeah. was saying, yeah, Jessup, fine. Uh, Je- Jessup was saying, you know, in that, and he was making fun of his white uniform. Uh, using a gay slur uh, to, to, you know, to, and, you know, and obviously the culture, everything's tribal. Like, uh, you know, even um, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character was saying, oh, yeah, we love you guys. You give us a ride every time we go somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, so it's all like, we're better than you. You're just the B team. You know, like everything's, but, but see there, that keeps everything in that, like, I can do no wrong. 
I can do absolutely no wrong, and it's not going to be a big deal if I admit that I did something that's like, so like by the time he's in um, in court later and gets him to to admit that he ordered the code red, he's full fledged angry at Tom Cruise spitting out fire at him, and then all of a sudden, it's like you know like I'm going to prove mm-hmm. it right now, you yeah. know. What, what do you think of that, bitch? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, what, mm-hmm. what do you mean I'm getting arrested? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, because, well, besides yeah, yeah. the president <laughs> of the United States, according to him, no one's bigger. You can't touch me. I am the best. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. right. and by the time, so when he's asking him the questions, and I'm, I mean, I know I'm going to the end, but it doesn't matter. It's like, if you haven't seen the movie by now, you've heard the, the lines, okay. you know, you can't handle the truth and, and all that stuff. So, uh, right. you know, yeah. deal with it. Yeah. But the fact is, like I said, why wouldn't he admit it that that he go, he ordered the code red because, you know, yeah. nothing's happened to me yet. I have risen uh, through the ranks. Even he he's even mm-hmm. insulting his um you know the second in command. You know the guy that actually wants to do the right thing by shipping Santiago off the base. And he's like, well, I yep. yeah, I I I I, I rank you. Yeah. I rose. We we went to the academy together. I rose mm-hmm. faster. That must eat you up, you know. Like so, all those things. Right. You know, it's like there's your god <laughs> complex that Melanie said. Go, go, I think go. Tom Cruise kind of like was intimidated by him at first, and kind of probably did respect him a lot because, especially the way he was talking to Demi Moore when, like, she wanted to ask questions, and he was like, "Sit down, be quiet, blah blah blah." He didn't like, you know, he kind of just wanted to get out of there until he asked him for the um, transfer paperwork. And when he saw the way he said, ask me nicely, and all this, the way Tom Cruise was looking at him at that time, you could tell that he thought, this guy's a real narcissist. And mm-hmm. he would, and he is a liar. And he would, he definitely, I think it's that, that exactly, I think, I think like Jack Nicholson literally had him exactly where he wanted him until he literally said that to him. And the way he looked at him was like, okay. I'm completely looking at him in a completely different way now. And that's right. when, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, I think that was kind of the breaking point. He he couldn't keep his mouth closed because he had such a big God complex. And if he just shut up, maybe he maybe he probably, I don't know, maybe things wouldn't have went the way they did. But One other. he just had to keep going and make somebody basically get down on their hands and knees and ask him nicely. One other thing on right. that, I do love Tom Cruise's face when he admits it because he his face just instantly becomes like, holy shit. Did anybody else hear that? that yeah. It's really yeah. brilliant the way he does it. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So that's really quick on that. That's in the in the play. He has him repeat it like three times, um, really? which makes me realize that this is a moment that he must have chose. Yeah. In the play, he's like, Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? Yeah. And it doesn't say in the line, you're goddamn right. I did. Brilliant choice, I imagine, by Nicholson to just yeah. let it out that way. Mm-hmm. Is because he wants to say it, right? He eats, yeah. he eats breakfast from three thousand Cubans who want to kill him. You know, he wants to say this. So, I was just so fascinated when I saw it in the film after reading the play that that's it. The film, like the the moment's done. You don't need the the added like two or three lines, and then. Um, but it's 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 funny how it can change just by the way an actor gives that line. You know, that one ad- admission is all you needed in the in this sheer kind of gall that he admits it into, right? Like, you're goddamn right I did. You know, mm-hmm. like, how great you're is gonna the tell fact me this that, isn't I'm the sorry. right thing. 
Uh, it's, right. it's hard with like, the delay here I got. Oh, um, sorry. How Go great on. is the fact that they had yeah. Tom Cruise um, do an impression of Jack Nicholson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was just so great. I remember that from 92. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, like, just did the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. I got that in the trivia. Um, that was not in the script. Tom Cruise did that on his own, and uh, both um, Kevin Pollack and Demi Moore were like their expressions were real because they were like they were just fun. cracking up because that wasn't in the script. Yeah. But but yeah. back at the um, talking about choices at the at the end there. Um, again, we've established that Nicholson says to Cruise, you know, uh, Sir, and I do outrank you. Yeah. And then the, the judge says, uh, I outrank you. Our, and I've earned it, yeah. And I've earned it as well. I and he kind of that. puts him in his place. Because eventually when he does admit to it, and then Cruz says some legal jargon, something like, according to Section 38A, blah, blah, blah. A lot, yeah, of yes, legal, right. a lot of legal stuff in this movie that I don't understand, but it felt like I did understand it. Right. It doesn't go way over my head. Look, I've been in a court for like, like you know, I I got divorced, and a lot of things my lawyer would say. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're yeah. using language I don't get. But I mean, they were using language that I at least thought I understood. And like he says that, and then you see Nicholson's looking around, and then the judge starts to say, you know, you have he puts him under arrest, and you see Kevin Bacon. Forgot about Kevin Bacon, folks. Yeah, the Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Bacon is in this. He's in the back, out of focus, reading him his rights, which I think is the greatest thing because they didn't put him in focus they put him out of focus with the words coming through and it's just another person they are doing their job Mm -hmm. they have been instructed that when this happens and the judge says this you must arrest this man even though he outranks you everybody's doing their job and it's just interesting to see that all play out in terms of that dynamic who's overranking who's ranking outranking who in each situation depending on what you say like that's crazy and how do you write that like that's so complicated and i right. think it's super <laughs> yeah absolutely and in that moment, super the moment where it kind of pivots is like the entire movie uh, tom cruise doesn't understand uh the protocol right he's always mm-hmm. standing and somebody doesn't dismiss him like demi moore yep. brings it up he's always getting called sir by dawson and downey and like he says if you say sir i look for my dad like he doesn't mm-hmm. follow the rules but the moment that he finally gets it is when kathy is when jessup sorry excuses himself from the bench mm-hmm. yep. and even though he does outrank uh kathy in that moment he's still a witness therefore he's under his jurisdiction so he walks away and uh kathy says i didn't dismiss you and that's when he goes back. And at that moment, that's when it starts to change for Jessup. He realizes his power is gone now. Like yep. he doesn't have the ability to tell a, a kind of a Marine to shut up. I'm going to, I'm in charge here. He's mm-hmm. now in his world. And I think that's a really great uh, place for the writing to start to change in a little bit where he starts to panic, you know, and that's how he ends up catching him. Is that where he starts to drink and he's shaking? Is it uh, that's after when, yeah, that? That's when Kathy starts to shake because he's like, I just told a colonel I didn't dismiss you, you know, so you can yep. see that that adolescence. And that's where I would say that Tom Cruise at his, is at his best in sure. those moments because he's 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 saying the words that uh, a kind of a really bombastic lawyer would say, but his actions don't follow up. He can barely keep himself composed, you know, and mm-hmm. that just shows a little bit of nuance in his character that I like. I just wanted yeah. to add that um, obviously we all know that, like, not only did he want to admit it because he has such a big ego, 
And that's what they were hoping for. But he also, he has to admit it because he literally had just explained to everybody that literally nobody in there would ever, he has so much control over literally everything that everybody does that nobody's ever going to do anything that he's, they're not, he's not right. telling them to do. So, mm -hmm. he, I mean, no matter what, he kind of talked his way right, right off that ledge because mm -hmm. like he said, like, okay, well, if you were to tell everybody not to touch him and everybody does like you said exactly what you say and they're not going to do anything that you say not to say then why was his life in grave danger why would he need to be mm -hmm. shipped off anywhere you know like so it's like no matter what like he he in some way had to admit it because he just not only because of his ego but he had just had to prove to everybody that i'm in control of literally everything everybody does no one's going to do walk or blink or do anything without me telling them to do it first so I think right. he had kind of nowhere to go and he just couldn't wait to say it. But it's so funny to me that like, not only did he not think that he did anything wrong, that he couldn't believe that he was being arrested. He was like, you're arresting me for a crime. But also mm -hmm. that the dumb, the dumb uh, other, what is, what the heck was his name? The, the guy the, that, the uh, other guy that was the being guy with accused. The guy with the blonde hair? Um, uh, Downey? Downey. Yeah, it's kind of Downey. Yeah, Downey, yeah. 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 He, he was like, um, what, what, what do you mean? Like, we, we didn't do anything, we were talking. Do you not understand that you just killed somebody you moron? Like, you know what I well, mean? Like, <laughs> no, he was followed. But again, you've got that character. Uh, I hear where you're coming from. And that's what his, who's the other guy? Lieutenant Lance Dolson. Corporal. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. And he, and he, um, like, he had to explain He's it. looking at him like a puppy dog. Yes. Because he is a man who joined the Corps mm -hmm. because he might not have a lot of smarts. Mm -hmm. And he probably isn't good in school, but he yeah. knows he can follow orders. And he's look, the Marine Corps gives him an identity. Mm -hmm. It gives him something to work for. Yeah. It gives him something to strive for, a code. He finally has a code. Maybe he's from some bumbleneck town in the middle of nowhere is, where everybody yeah. <laughs> just does whatever they want. And he wants to go in a place that's a little more ordered. And mm -hmm. he wants to follow, he wants to, he wants to follow orders. Yeah, he wants and to when you follow orders, then you yeah. should you're doing your job. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, he does not make that connection because yeah. he has been trained to not make that connection, and that's the gray area. Yeah. Do you want of of the of of the way that it's written? Do you want soldiers to not have a moral gray area that what I'm doing right now is not okay? It doesn't matter that I'm under orders. I really shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Do you want to make people like that? I'm not anti, please don't, I'm not anti-military. I'm just saying that's what the writers are saying at this at this juncture, and they're doing it well. But they're that's a good point well. you bring up, Chris. I, I, yeah. I know you mentioned it earlier, and I, obviously I am a little bit out there unapologetic in my political opinion. So I've covered yeah. some things in the past, specifically at Fort Hood, a military mm -hmm. base, where some issues have went on with um, assault on bases and people following all those Mm -hmm. um, that were essentially given from higher up, right? And I think that mm -hmm. it is a very ambiguous conversation about following orders by those in positions of power because the military essentially governs themselves. Mm -hmm. when, when crime's happening on military bases, very rarely does it go outside the, the kind of reach of those who are in positions of power. And there is great honor in serving, of course, because you're protecting the, mm -hmm. um, the country and there's a lot of... Um, a support that comes with that and I think that even though Aaron Sorkin doesn't say he's political in all his interviews I think he is being political in terms of what can happen when somebody knows how that point of view in this world how much leeway you're given sure because because Jessup's character 
he talks about how much the the country needs him and he understands that and i think that without that kind of imperialistic point of view of like uh i'm i'm protecting the country yes but i'm also going to do it my way because mm-hmm. i'm a u.s colonel and 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 whatever i say he goes i think that's what he, uh, sorkin's trying to say is that if we simply say okay these soldiers are protecting our well-being we're not in the military so do we really have a point of view on that like Mm -hmm. that's where it starts i think can become uh a little bit of a a kind of cop-out almost for those people like ed jessup's in the world because it's like well i'm going to do what i want because i'm i'm sacrificing myself anyway Mm -hmm. but then it becomes ambiguous right and that's the question that i like to pose is because i'm not I have uh, family friends who are in the military and, and, and served, and I, and I honor that sacrifice. But I also think that it shouldn't come without reprieve if you're overstepping, you know, sure. and, and oh, yeah. severely overstepping. Yeah, I, I am by no means defending anybody that oversteps. I think no, what, absolutely not. I was, yeah, saying, I, th- I was just saying that's no, what I think he oh, does in posing that question. Yeah. Oh no, I'm just I'm trying to. You know, I don't want to think I'm being wishy-washy, but I guess what the, the I think what we got to focus on here is the phrase. You know, the ends justify the means. Like, the ends do justify the means, but not all the time. Like, it you can't say that about everything. Like, you got to be really, really, really picky about when you use that as your mantra, and that is Jessup's what he's saying. Well, the ends justify the means. We got rid of a lousy soldier. We don't have to worry about him anymore, and the country is better for it. Right. right and yee, I don't know. It's still somebody's life. Um, right. Maybe you should have just said, "Hey, you know, you're a shitty marine. Just go home. You yeah, just don't be home. here. You can't be a marine anymore. Sorry. You know, uh, I know you want to, uh, but, but who's ever told him he was wrong? Nobody. Right. Nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, if yep. you've got <laughs> if you've got that going for you, then why would you ever assume you are? Well, when you're in Jessup's position, everybody says yes to you because they have to. Wow. So exactly. Why would, why would you ever think you're wrong? Never. Because yeah. everybody around you says, yes, sir. They kind of just transferred him somewhere else. No, but that's with. because we're all humans. <laughs> we're, yeah. that, I, we all agree with you, Melanie, because we're human. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. yeah. But, then, but then again, to the point of defending Jessup, which uh, I just think I like to take that position to see, is that he makes a, a point in saying that if we started, like he has that brilliant first line introduced to him. Where he's like, oh, why don't we get the president on the phone and say that oh, we're yeah. just surrendering our position in Cuba? Like, yeah. there's a point to be made in him, mm-hmm. in him saying that if we take the quote-unquote easy route, like take away the, <laughs> it's sad to say, but take away the the human aspect of it, right? Where you're just looking at uh, at kind of standards. Mm-hmm. If you're going to say that if anybody falls short, then they're gone. Then how do you know that doesn't create a domino effect where everybody lets a standard slip, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden? things start to change you know i obviously don't agree that that means that somebody should be trained as a code red but Mm -hmm. that's where his stance is right which makes it why it's one of my favorite films you can sit and talk about this all day where jessup becomes not one of the most likable antagonists Mm -hmm. but an understandable one to a certain extent in Mm -hmm. what his job is but he's just taking that level of authoritarian point of view which happens to people in power and it's just ran with it to the point where there's no boundary anymore. It's whatever it takes to follow that protocol. You you know who I like in this movie a lot is Noah Wiley. Um, So Noah Wiley comes in and they put him on. So he's on the base and he's just a, 
adorable. Like, cute as a button. 18 year old yeah. Noah Wiley, or how old he was. Like, probably one of the first movies. But anyway, so they put him on. He's on the base and he and he drives uh, Kathy around and all them to the meetings with Jessup. And eventually they put him on the stand as a witness as, about Code Reds. And he says, uh, you know, did you screw up once? And he said, yeah. And what did they do? Well, they say everybody got to punch me in the arm for five minutes. Yeah. Right. So no one ordered them to do that. That's just what you did. It's almost like the, the soap party in in Full Metal Jacket. Right. Um, you know what I mean? They took it upon themselves so that I don't screw up anymore. And he says, as a result, I became a better Marine. And, you know, you can almost agree with that. It's like, all right. It's almost a thing like if we get in trouble, if, if you screw up, everybody's got to do 100 push-ups. So we're going to make sure you don't screw up. And we're going to punch you in the arm for five minutes. And guess what's going to happen? You're not going to screw up anymore. And that's kind of a tough love thing. Yeah. But I, I submit, I'm not saying I agree. I'm just saying I submit, though, that Noah Wiley already could have been a good Marine. He's already got the, the like the, the inner workings of being somebody that can learn from his mistakes, whereas Santiago maybe wasn't that person. And it doesn't matter what code red you four. threw on him. Maybe he had already received four or five, and he just wasn't learning. Um, so again, it goes to that standard. I love. I think Noah Wiley is the good Santiago, the Santiago where all this tough stuff that happens works for. But it doesn't mm. work for everybody. It doesn't work for a hundred percent of Think everybody. about this. And I just like he. He's the one that made it. But um, ahead, yeah. What about the fact that all those symptoms that the doctor. Um, kind of looked at, mm. you know, like it got brought to his attention that all these things could cause that same problem, uh, you know, like uh, the mm. fatigue, the shortness of breath, you know, the, all the. But when it came time to admit it in court, he was like, I, "No, it's, it's it's what I said." He had a clean bill of health because he's also following a certain line that he wants to. So um, Santiago, I mean was never probably physically fit to be there mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. like because yep. they, everybody's towing this one line of what they need to follow like no you can't say that he's sick you know like he he's 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 yeah. just weak you know like it's like this weird thing and right. then when when it was presented to him you saw it dawn on him that wow that really could be it but hold on, I have to maintain mm -hmm. <laughs> the the loyal Marine yeah. guy. You know what I mean? So I'm not, no, I'm well, going to say it's He this. could never admit it. He would get in trouble. He'd be responsible for part of his right. death. Right, um, even though he knows and it internally. And also, like, Jack Nicholson didn't think that, yeah, and he didn't, Jack Nicholson, honestly, did, not defending him again, but like Chris says, I'm not defending him, but um, he, he didn't know he was going to get killed. He's like, no, he's not getting a transfer. He His exact words were, we're going to train him. Yep. Mm -hmm. So right. he's trying to teach him a lesson. He's going to train him. He said, "We're going to train him." He never, mm -hmm. he never thought he was going to die. He didn't. He wasn't trying to to kill him. Um, yeah. yeah, you know. A little, um, those little kind of like trivia, but secret in the and there's a scene that they didn't use in the film where Nicholson's character Jessup uh, talks with the doctor and threatens him and wow. and says that he's going to be. Uh, he's looking to his stars rising, as they talk about, and he might need a chief of medicine. And he uses that, and he uses exactly what you just said, Melanie, where he said, uh, wouldn't that be, if you if you had noticed before that he had a defect in his heart and you didn't catch it, wouldn't that be on you? And mm -hmm. the doctor starts to panic. So he uses that, which yeah. is so great that you don't need that in the film. Like, mm -hmm. it's yeah. seen that 
maybe wouldn't be out of place, but you don't need it because you already get that Jessup's probably working all these angles anyway, right? You, yeah. you don't need to see him directly threaten the doctor to know that the doctor is essentially trying to, to cover his tracks as well because yeah. mm-hmm. everyone's following Jessup. Yeah. Cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I, I would like to say, again, um, as I am a DC geek, um, uh, the they would catch, every now and then they'd intercut uh, this is kind of off the track a little bit, but they would intercut just very quick, like the Marine Corps Memorial, just mm-hmm. for a second. Washington Monument for no reason. Thomas Jefferson Memorial for no and just go back to the courtroom. Um, I thought that was interesting because if you've been around the monuments, they're obviously super. They're awesome. Uh, they're supposed to show this this quiet um, strength in the nation and honoring these people, the ex presidents and the Marine Corps and and all that stuff and then they'll do a scene where they're talking about how it's kind of crumbly at the bottom because people are in charge so it's interesting how they they show these very honorific cuts it's not like they have you know the 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 Iwo Jima memorial with spray paint on it saying lies you know first of all you can't do that but it's (laughs) it's guarded but the fact of the matter is like he doesn't paint that he's not Reiner isn't painting um He's letting us think about what is actually going on. Francis, something you talked about, like that, that they kind of they govern themselves. They have carte blanche for themselves. So what we mm-hmm. see from the outside is different than what's going on on the inside. We visit these memorials and we see all these honorific things, but we're not getting, we're not seeing everything. Should we? I don't know. Maybe we well, shouldn't see think, everything. But you, it's kind of interesting yeah. how he threw those in. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I I, I actually only caught this in more of the recent watches, I think it was a couple of years ago, but the opening scene, not the scene where they show the brief glimpse of the violence that happens to Santiago, mm-hmm. but the opening scene of all the soldiers in line sure. following following the procedure of uh, the marching band, essentially, and they're all drilled. Like mm-hmm. they're, oh. everyone's gun comes down a second. Yep. That is so telling for mm-hmm. the entire mm-hmm. film. Yep, and I it's thought just of that, that too. I thought and of that. Yeah, the, that wasn't that. In, that wasn't the play. There's nothing. That's like fully right. I, I think I don't know if Sorkin wrote that into the screenplay. I think he did actually. I've, I've read the screenplay as well. Um, he he brought that in. But I'm like watching that scene. And I'm like, this is the film. When I, yep. after you've seen it a few times, you're like, this is mm-hmm. exactly what they're trying to say. Is that everybody needs to be in order. If one person messes up in this entire line, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the beats off and yep. everybody's out of sync. So an amazing job by the. Um, well, it's both like Sorkin and the and the director to to ca- encapsulate that in the first five minutes. It's it's kind of a breathtaking scene that I only yeah. appreciated more so recently. Yeah, I, I you know I thought of that too because um, mm-hmm. they're all just they are there is no emotion in any of their faces and they shouldn't have any because they have mm-hmm. a job to do and if everybody does it right and if anyone doesn't something different you're gonna notice yeah. and and when I first saw it at a younger age, 1992, I'm like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Right. That's all I thought. Because what else are you going to think when you're younger, right? Like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Um, so, uh, sorry. That's interesting. And also, they don't, They this thing ends. And wh- what do they end the movie with? Like a triumphant march. Not like some 
Oh, justice has finally been served. Right, right. Santiago can rest because no. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Like I, I, it, that's on purpose. Like none of this stuff's on accident. It's all there for a reason. And right. he's asking us to think about the reason. And I think Francis and, and Melanie and Jay. I think the reason that I I like the movie so much and in recent in this new viewing is because. They don't have to spell any, everything out for me. They let us percolate. They let us think about it. They don't tell us what we should think. Mm -hmm. Like the movie lets you come to your own conclusions. And if we had other guests or this or another podcast, you could absolutely come at it a different way. Mm -hmm. And you could make some points that way too. I That to me is good writing. It's not yeah. forcing absolutely. down my throat what I should feel at this moment. So, uh, hey Jay, you back? Yeah, that was. Um, it said something about like storage. Okay. Like I said, I was never ready for this friggin' thing to act this way today. So like, <laughs> that's okay. It was um, just you know this is all fly by the you know. So, Can you see me again better? Like, yeah, like I, as far as yeah, the angle, you. good. We got you. Okay. We just we no, just but like earlier point. you were saying you only saw the top of my head or not seeing the top of my head. No, we're we good. got you. It's good. All right. So uh, it was funny. So, I couldn't even see Melanie for half the the show. It was just a black screen. Uh, but did you guys? I know. See I, it's it's. They probably could. It's just it's this is all like you know, but it's recording locally. It's recording on your end, so it's going to okay. be shipped up to me after. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, so I lost part of that, but sorry for everybody. Oh no, so we were just talking about the beginning and the end of the movie. Um, mm. hey, what, what, <laughs> you missed it. I know, right? We're talking about that shit in between, but uh, we didn't do the beginning oh. and the end. Why don't we? Um, why don't we do um, TMI? It's time for TMI with Melanie. Listen, listen to this. I am in the bathroom right before the movie starts. Uh huh. And I'm in the stall, and there's no toilet paper. Yeah. And mine are at home TMI. in a display case above TMI, my bed. My yeah. TMI. TMI. TMI, my friends. TMI. Too much information. Don't go there, but that's lame. Now, here's Melanie with your timeless movie info. All right, the budget is uh, was thirty. It, it doesn't have an exact figure. It says thirty-three to forty million, and the box office was two hundred and forty-three point two million. Holy moly! Um, yeah, they did good. Um, first, let me just say that half the trivia on here was, and you know that whole Kevin Bacon thing. Kevin Bacon was in this movie with this person. He was in this movie with this oh, one. Oh sure, six degrees. Yeah, you know, but there's just literally way like pretty much. I'm just gonna say the cast and crew all work together at some point in some time in their lives. <laughs> like you, got it. you know, there was just too many of them. I'm not gonna write them all down. Um, all right, the original play was inspired by an actual code red at Quanta Quantanemo Bay. Uh, Lance Corporal David Cox and nine other enlisted men tied up a fellow Marine and severely beat him for snitching to the Naval Criminal Investigation Service, Cox was acquitted and later honorably discharged in 94. And then David Cox mysteriously vanished and his bullet riddled body was found three months later. His Oops. murder remains unsolved. Wow. Yeah. Oops. Wow. Yeah. A... So he got off of it and then got killed, but nobody knows who did it. Um, mm. A recent mm. college graduate, Aaron, is his name Sorkin? You say that? Sorkin. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin, yeah. yeah. Um, was working as a bartender in New York uh, Broadway, on Broadway shows, and he wrote the entire play on cocktail napkins. Uh, he, and he said that like that's the good thing about working in a bar. You'll never run out of cocktail napkins. Yeah. Um, Aunt Jenny is Rob Reiner's sister-in-law, Maude Winchester. Um, according to Rob Reiner, Tom Cruise would always stay after rehearsals to work on performing his role. 
Kevin Bacon praised Kiefer uh, for embracing the darkness of his character, and Sutherland praised Tom Cruise for um, inspiring him with his acting. An unnamed executive gave Aaron Sorkin a note. If Tom Cruise and Demi Moore aren't going to sleep with each other, why is Demi Moore a woman? He responded. He said, I said the obvious answer. Women have other purposes other than to sleep with Tom Cruise. Wow. <laughs> nice. Wow. He said nice. that incident was the worst experience as a screenwriter. Um, wow. Yeah, they yep. kept trying That's to Hollywood put for it you. in for like make them kiss each other, make them do, you know, and he was like, There's, no. So who said that to him? Uh, it an says an unnamed executive. He wouldn't say Okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, like someone up at the top, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, all right. He said Jack Nicholson. Well, Jack Nicholson was paid five million for just ten days of work, and he only appeared in like a few scenes. Demi yep. Moore reportedly agreed to negotiate her three million asking price down to two million because she was competing with Jodie Foster and Linda Hamilton for the role, and also because mm. she did so badly. Uh, well, she didn't do badly, but the movies did very badly as far as The Butcher's Wife in '91, Mortal Thoughts in '91, and Nothing But Trouble in '91. So she was Ooh. like really needing something. Whoa, so she, yeah. she you know, did anything yeah. she could to roll. Um, <laughs> oh, I will say I know it's the dumbest freaking movie ever, but Nothing But Trouble still makes me crack up. <laughs> I showed it to the kids. It's Whoa. so stupid, but it's just, I don't know why. Um, All right. I love it. <clears throat> okay. Um, the word sir is used 164 times during the movie and an average of once every 50 seconds. Um, that same year, Jack Nicholson and J.T. Walsh appeared in Hoffa 92 and became very good friends. When Nicholson won his third Oscar, he dedicated it to the memory of Walsh, who passed away months before the award. Um, Rob Reiner also praised J.T. Walsh um, as a natural and understood act, an under, understated actor. Um, Reiner's goal is to have the whole cast be as good as J.T. Walsh's. Um, Kevin Pollack's mother is in the crowd watching the trial. According to Pollack, she hit on Jack Nicholson. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Rob Why Reiner, uh, let's see. Rob Reiner released one scene, required another take and another take, and he apologized to Jack Nicholson, who reportedly said, Rob, you don't understand. I love acting. We'll do this as many times as you want. Um, wow. Kevin Pollock said of Jack Nicholson that he is the party and nobody had more fun than him. <laughs> wow. All right. Wow. Super. Uh, Sounds like a grand time, this movie. <laughs> My yeah. God. Yeah. Can, can I throw in something that I that I um, know of this? Uh, yeah, this of is actually from the play. I know I'm probably boring you with the play references. No. My no. first acting teacher in Los Angeles was a fellow by the name of Wolfgang Bodison, who is Lance Carpel Dawson. In the film, get um, out of here! Yeah, that cool. Yeah, so um, Wolf still teaches at the Playhouse in LA. So yeah. they had a lot of trouble casting for Dawson, and Wolfgang was Rob Reiner's assistant. And Wolf tells a story during his uh, classes where he says that Rob was having some time trying to figure this out, and he literally turned and said word for word, "I just, I just need somebody like, like Wolf." And he looked to Wolf and he goes, Wolf, do you act? And he's like, well, kind of your assistant right now. Uh, production is what I wanted to go into. He's like, gave him the script. He's like, can you memorize this? Read it. And he read for it and he got it. <laughs> no, <laughs> nice. As, yeah, and this is, that was his, one of his first. I think he did like a short film before that. It was his big, big break. So uh, shout out to Wolf for that. He's a great guy. And he uh, will used to keep us after class and tell us stories about um, being on, on that set. Which is That's cool. awesome. That's neat. That's you know, I I'd, I'd heard that 
but like it had been so long since I'd heard the story that I was like, I, I was talking to Melanie like actually a couple of weeks ago. I was like something. He was like in the hall, <laughs> like he's walking yeah. by, like you know. So like it's all it's like exactly inflated. right. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, I forgot the details. So, so I'm glad you said that. I just want to be walking down the street and somebody go, I want, I need to shoot a movie with somebody like this guy, and I just hand me. <laughs> oh, a... Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why not just? Aaron Sorkin was in the bar. I, I, I yes. saw him on the credits, and I was like, "Where the hell is he?" Yeah, he so I had to go look him up online. He—you uh, know, there's a part where Tom Cruise is just uh, wallowing in his self-pity, and then mm-hmm. um, they go to uh, like the, there's a guy talking on the side. Goes, "Hey, you know, if uh, you know, you want to like do some uh, you know stupid uh, lawsuit because a 90-year-old man misread a insurance right. paper, you know, like, um, oh. you know, I'm going to bury you in the, like, and that's that's Aaron yeah. Sorkin talking right there." He puts um, himself in movies. He does it. If you've ever, if you've seen the Social Network, he's the kind of hedge fund um, hedge fund guy that's talking to uh, Mark Zuckerberg's character in in uh, Andrew Garfield in trying to negotiate their first kind of advertising deal. So he'll do that when he's in when he's in films that he's he's wrote. I don't know if he does it in everyone, but I actually missed it the first couple of times watching this until I exactly like you said, Jay. I, Saw it in the credits and then I went back and noticed he was in the bar. So he'll pop up as a cameo. That's so cool. I love it when the writers do cameos. There's so many people like, you know, Stephen King and Alfred Hitchcock were like famous ones for doing that. But then Mm. who is it? What's the guy that's in all the 80s? Like that did all, don't even tell me, don't, don't make fun of me for this, but the one that we always like the breakfast club and all that, what the heck, what's his name? John Hughes. Oh, um, thank you. Okay. So he, he did a lot of cameo type stuff too. And the guy that did the Terminator, (laughs) Um, he's always in like, he tries to put his voice in things. Oh yeah, 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 James yeah. Aaron, yeah. Totally Alfred Hitchcock was like the originator, though. Oh yeah, I think, yeah, like, totally. That, like you know, was inserting himself. Oh, um, yeah. You guys want to do final judgment? It's time now for final judgment. Are you ready to rubber stamp this bitch? Here's the final judgment. Well, now it's time for Final Judgments, the time of the show where we talk about how well the movie holds up today. So it's no longer about opinion, but fact. Ah, hell, it's about opinion. We, it's all a matter no. of opinion. No. All right. So, um, well, uh, Francis, you were the one that actually thought about this film. Uh, so why don't, why don't you uh, say how much it, uh, whether it holds up today? I think we kind of already know. Yeah, sorry. I think I gave it away by my uh, kind of beaming of enjoyment talking about it. I still really think it holds up very well uh, today. If I do, I have to give a score on it because if I no, score, no, 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 just basically it does. Put out a ninety-nine percent. No, I think it still holds up. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know how well it would do if it was released in today's film market, mm-hmm. but I still think it holds up. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I'm going to echo him. Uh, I, I absolutely think it holds up. I think it works well as a stage play. Um, I think there's a lot of lessons you can learn from it. Um, I think because it's they don't beat you over the head about what you should think about it it holds up um i think the only way it doesn't is because this movie is coming on a tail end of so many legal movies that came out late 80s early 90s there was a spate of them and and tv shows like suddenly everybody had to know about what's going on in a courtroom and i think there's a lot of them from my cousin Vinny to the pelican brief to the client to there's so many legal movies L.A. Law, The Firm, like there's so many. Like, Bring just, back legal films. Bring them back. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm just I say. saying like, um, and they're fine. I just, I, I think it kind of ran its course and I was, nobody right. wants to see them as much um, anymore. But I think this one 
this one does a good job at it, obviously. So no, I, it, it holds up. Doesn't matter whether or not I think it's good. Um, it's about whether it holds up, and, and absolutely it holds up. No doubt about it. Um, Melanie? I say definitely, yeah. It's extremely entertaining. Um, the, the cast and crew in this is, like, phenomenal. Huge people in this. Like, I, everybody's in this. Um, every time you turn around, there's somebody else in this that you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's in this. Um, and then the lines from this movie, obviously, are amazing. Who doesn't know you can't handle the truth, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think anybody watching this movie for the very first time would just be, you know, glued to the TV set. I think it's really good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the the acting really, I think, sets everything. Um, every, it's the story and the acting combined it is so intriguing that it doesn't matter if you're coming from this modern era. Mm -hmm. It's still a, a, the issues that are at play, like in this, or like, you know, I mean, like the decency, uh, whether you should follow orders to hurt someone, you know what I mean? Like that type of thing. I mean, those questions are, are questions that aren't going to go out of date mm -hmm. and they're prominent in this. So I really think that um, that would hold up with almost anyone. Yes, it's wordy, but like, you know, what I mean, like and, you know, you might get a couple of kids today that, you know, they just can't handle anything because they just like only like a 10 second blurb on TikTok and that's all they can handle. But, you know, um, Aaron Sorkin, um, I, I I haven't watched um like a lot of the West Wing, I've only seen a couple episodes. It is what it is. I liked what I saw, but I wasn't like, you know, lured in like very tightly. Um, I was really into the new the newsroom. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but it yeah, was it. amazing. Great, <laughs> it was so good. Um, so I highly recommend that. Uh, I imagine you could find it on HBO. Um, it was an HBO show, so um, highly recommend that. He is he is awesome. Um, some uh, alternative titles for this for um, Tom Cruise could have been uh, something like A Few Bad Thetans or yep. Yep. Uh, yep. perhaps uh, you know, mm -hmm. Code Red on the Deep Blue Sea Orc. I was thinking, you know, maybe. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Uh, uh, a miscarriage uh -huh. of justice. <laughs> I also don't think it looks dated because one thing, everyone's wearing military uniforms half the time. Right. And the other times the clothes are just so plain. Nothing really looks dated. And I was telling my husband when we were watching it when Kiefer was walking down the hallway and he's got his little sunglasses on and his military uniform and the boots. I'm like, you know, he feels like a badass right now walking down the hall with nope. that outfit. You know what I'm 100%. saying? 100%. <laughs> yeah. Get out. Yeah. That's my. I think my only critique is of Keita Sutherland's character a little bit. I think he comes across a little bit as a caricature in it, yeah. just because he's like so, like he's like I believe he's like in the play they trimmed it down thankfully in the film, but he in the play he says about twelve times how he believes just in God, the United States, and the mm -hmm. the Marines, and that's his that's go to it. every time. You know, I would like to see a little yeah. bit of, of of nuance in his character, but that's my mm -hmm. minor critique, just to say that I don't just unapologetically love the film in that way but i would i would change a few things about that but still great you know i read i didn't i didn't put in the trivia but i read somewhere that that he had a really hard time you know when he was driving them around he had a hard time driving that wide truck so i guess there was, oh, wow. a part where there was some marines that were on the sides and he he kind of hit a couple of them <laughs> wow. I, I didn't write that down because i didn't know how true it was but that's well. what, and i thought that was kind of funny so but yeah i just thought i would add that that's awesome. All right. Well, I'd like to personally thank 
Francis Maxwell for joining us today. Francis, if you want to help uh, everybody know uh, how to find you and all that. Yeah, um, I'm across all the socials. Francis M. Maxwell is the handle on Instagram, Twitter. I do some um, political content on the Midas Touch uh, Network, which is easily found on on YouTube. And uh, hopefully look out for a couple of uh, courtroom dramas coming out of me in the future. No surprise, just because of how much I love this this world. So that's where mm -hmm. my arena is. So hopefully we'll see. All right, Thanks for us. I hope I hope that works out. That'd be great. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, I'd uh, like to thank uh, Steve Lavoy for our uh, vocal imaging, even though nobody got to hear it today. It's not our fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our theme music is done by uh, Draco and the Malfoys. And uh, so, uh, we, once again, we'd like to thank you for joining us on the Film Crickets. And on the behalf of Melanie Howerton and Chris Martineau, I'd like to thank you once again. And... Uh, un until next time, movies may not age like fine wine, but we drink it anyway. Bye.